Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Sasha Smulders. I'm Joe Fulgham. This is The Sandman, Issue 62, The Kindly Ones, Part 6. The cover date for this issue is August of 1994. It was actually in stores on June 28th of 1994. Uh, let me do the credits before we go to the inside. I normally wait a little bit. Neil Gaiman, the writer. Glenn Dillon as the penciler. Disraeli is the inker. Charles Vess is the inker and penciler of the interior story. And I've also got a credit for Dean Ormston as inker, so I think he might have helped with that. Daniel Vazo is the colorist. Android Images did color separations later on to help them. Dave McKean is the artist for the cover. Uh, Karen Berger is editor. And Shelley Bond is the assistant editor. Should we start off with the cover image that we've got here? Yeah, we have a lot of hands. Yeah. It's a handsy cover. It's Kathy Peters' hand from the cover of issue 11, which was The Doll's House. Dave McKean says that uh, Neil wanted a quote from the doll's house in the cover, so he included Kathy Peters' hand from the cover of 11. Mm -hmm. Neil says, this chapter was structurally a reprise of Sandman number 10. The reason it has an image from Sandman 11 on the cover is that I have a rotten memory for issue numbers and (laughs) told Dave it was a recap of number 11. It's such a pretty cover, I never wanted to cavil. And cavil is make unnecessary objections. Oh, Neil. Yeah. So issue 10 was Rose Walker flying to England with her mother. She meets the kindly ones in the broom closet. That one. Yeah. 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 That's so funny. It's too polite. I know. Really is what it is. It's the Douglas Adams biscuit story. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Of no? just It's how how so overly polite the English are. And I, I heard it from Douglas Adams. It might be from somewhere else. But he was on a train somewhere and he had a packet of biscuits, which is cookies, like little cookies in like, a, you know, a little packet. Mm-hmm. And he put them on the table in between them as they're sitting on the train. And the other gentleman sitting across from him just reached over, opened up the packet of cookies, took one out and ate it. And Douglas Adams was like, what? how I can't, how rude, I'm, but I'm English. I can't possibly say anything about it. So I will just assert my dominance by eating one of my own cookies. So I, he goes over and he pulls out a cookie and he eats it. And then the other guy later, a little bit later, reaches over, takes another cookie and eats it. So Douglas Adams is like, well, fine, I'm going to eat the last cookie in my packet then, gosh darn it. And the, the train eventually stops and the guy gets up. And picks up his empty uh, cookie wrapper and his newspaper and goes to walk away. And when he walks away, Douglas Adams notices that underneath where the man had put his newspaper is Douglas Adams' packet of biscuits. (laughs) I actually have read that story. Yeah. But I like the way you tell it. Thank you. It's nice. I just cannot imagine, (laughs) like, especially... Especially when you tell a story and knowing how it ends. Yeah. Just the idea of like eating someone's cookie. Oh my God. As you describe him reaching and taking the cookie. But as you think the other person is doing that to you. Makes me so uncomfortable. I would see you doing that. You would not want to go, why are you eating my cookies? I could, you wouldn't do that. You would just be like, well, I'm just going to eat one of my cookies so that they know I know what's up. Oh no, I would fully forfeit my cookies. If somebody just just took my cookie, I'd be like, like, gasp. They're not my cookies anymore. I guess I'm never eating cookies again. (laughs) This person is clearly like on another level. (laughs) And yeah, I just, I don't get cookies anymore. (laughs) Okay then, no more cookies. Because every cookie from that point on will remind you of that embarrassing incident. Is that, <sighs> yes. is that how it works? Okay. Yes. 
Should we go on to the inside? Well, I'm wondering what these other hands are oh, okay. in this picture. I'm not sure. So that's Unity Kincaid's hand, right? With the big circle drawn around it. Is it? I don't know. Do uh, I remember if the hand was in the other, whose uh, hand it was in the other? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's fine. We don't need to know. Do you want me to hold on? I can maybe find. the other hands are the flying children. Oh, maybe. I think, didn't we find out the hands are there because of the wrong cover? Well, yes, but in this one, the extra hands represent the flying children, right? Isn't it just the one hand that's from the uh, the old cover? So on the cover of number 11, it the hand is, looks like uh, Sandman is kissing it here. Yeah, so it's the hand that in in part six is on the right-hand side of the page. Right, yeah. That looks more like a photo. And then the other mm-hmm. ones are these weird grasping silhouettes. Yeah. Reaching silhouettes. And I'm wondering, you know, if the reaching silhouettes are supposed to be yeah, I don't know. something else reaching towards unity or something. I don't know. I don't know how much communication there could have possibly been about the themes here if they got the issue number wrong right <laughs> off the bat. <laughs> you know, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> I rarely understand these covers, I admit it. It's something odd to say when considering we're doing a podcast about this and are researching into it. But like Dave McKean's art is pretty abstract and interesting. And Mm. I don't think he makes his mind up exactly. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's like, you're dumb and you don't get it, Joe. Hmm. How dare you podcast about my art? (laughs) Hmm. I like it. I like the use of colors. Should we go to page one? Yeah. All right. So we have a different artist for this one. And this is also the first of these stories in the Kindly Ones that doesn't have a string or a thread going through the first panel. <gasps> I guess because it's separate from those other stories. It feels like removed. Yeah, this feels like a like an interlude, right? It's about one character the whole way through. It's a different artist. Uh, and it's kind of feels not exactly like you know we're not getting any of the kindly one stuff really i mean they are the kindly ones in it but like nothing that's going on with hippolyta yeah going on here with yeah. lita mm-hmm. so rose is taking another plane to england mm-hmm. and uh she falls asleep on the plane and when she wakes up she's expecting to see her mother next to her but instead there's this kind of filthy smelly guy who's got a porn magazine yeah and then i don't know why they're opening her bag at customs on the way in that's never happened that usually they look your bag gets gone gone through when you're leaving it's i mean it can happen you definitely can have people go through your bag it's just odd Mm -hmm. usually it doesn't happen and these days i think a lot of it is just scanned with a yeah. You know, with the x-ray thing. But before they used to have people who would actually go through your stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I guess customs. Yeah. I guess you do have to go to customs on the other side. You're right. But no one ever looked at my stuff anytime I've gone through customs. I guess you're just more trustworthy looking than Rose Walker. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. These are her maybe she'll get lucky lacy panties. They are definitely crotchless. They look. Yeah. Those are crotchless, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got that little split there at the front. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate forethought. What can I say? And then she meets the new Mr. Holdaway. Mm-hmm. Jack. Young Jack. Young Jack Holdaway. Look at how handsome he is in his suit. Acting like he's a real grown-up lawyer. He, <laughs> he is a real grown-up lawyer. 
the opening sequence in this absolutely mirrors the opening part of issue 10, where she also woke up on a plane. With her sister, her England, mother next to her. With her mother next to her, yeah. And then uh, and then getting picked up by but, a Mr. Holdaway. We're holding a sign, yeah. The car that he drives is an Austin Mini Cooper. Ooh. They were produced from 1961 to 1971 and then from 1990 to 2000. So at the time of this uh, comic coming out, they would be pretty much classics only. I uh I'm I'm kind of struck by the color of it. Yeah, it is a pretty dismal looking color. I can confirm that there were uh, Austin Mini Coopers of that color. That really? Were fairly common. Yeah. Just kind of peach. It's not even really peach. It's too pale. It's kind of beigey. Yeah. There's one. You like that? Oh, that's perfect. It's basically beige. Mm-hmm. Basically beige. Beige. It's beige. Basically beige. It's basic. Basic. And then we get the shot of the house. I mean, it's not a house. It's a hospital. Mm-hmm. But it kind of harkens back to in that first series mm-hmm. with where they all, were all, they all always have houses, houses yeah. in the title card. Yeah, yeah. And now we're back to the house title. Yeah. In panel three of this page, where we get the title, The Kindly One Six, Jack, sorry, young Jack mentions the Robin Williams film with people sleeping their life away. That would be the 1989 film Awakenings. I never heard of it. Oh, uh, it was at the time fairly famous. Like Robin Williams got quite a bit of talk about his performance in it. He played the doctor who was studying these people. Uh, Robert De Niro played a patient who had been asleep since he was a little boy. So he woke up as a full-grown man and had to kind of deal with that. Uh, It was based on a book by neurologist Oliver Sacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the text page of issue number four of The Sandman, like during the initial runs, uh, Neil Gaiman mentions the book as one of his influences in creating the series. So Neil did read the book that uh, the film ended up getting based on. So Rose just wants to come and wander around and talk to people. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Witch Cross, which is named in panel four, is the town where Lady Joanna Constantine resided and where centuries later Dream was imprisoned. Mm. So this is all kind of in the same spot. Uh, this is kind of the Salmon Annotations note. This is kind of a retcon because there was no mention before that Unity Kincaid's nursing home was anywhere near the Sandman, mm. which it kind of you think that they would have mentioned. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he sets her up in, with the White Heart Inn. White Heart is an archaic term for a white stag, the male deer. Uh, and it was the emblem of King Richard II. It's a common name for inns around England. And there's actually a White Heart on the green that's only about a 20-minute drive from Witch Cross right now. Hmm. So it could be Neil was specifically mentioning that. But it could also be that he's just like, oh, there's a lot of White Heart Inns. That's what I'll, what I'll pick. Mm. figuring there would be one close enough i mean was there one in 1994 though oh yeah okay yeah, <laughs> yeah the english inns have been around for a long long time there's quite a few named the white heart yeah mm. it's cute mm-hmm. let's go okay <laughs> we'll uh we'll get a funding page up for our dreaming trip to witch cross yeah okay over to page four where we see paul mcguire we haven't seen Paul since issue one. No, we barely saw him in that one either. And yeah, he wasn't really in there. He was kind of a, a minor character. Mm-hmm. The lover of Alex Burgess, Alex being the son of Roderick Burgess, the man who imprisoned Dream. Mm. 
we find out that the uh, Holdaways have been the lawyers for Rose's family since the Rebellion of 45. That's actually the Jacobite Rising of 1745. Yeah. And that is uh, when Bonnie Prince Charlie landed in Scotland. He recruited the Scots to help him attack England and made his way as far south as Derby. Charles had promised support from the Jacobites and a French landing from the south, neither of which came true. So in Derby, the Scots left him and he had to flee back to France. Mm. So it was an unsuccessful attempt at a rebellion there okay. by Bonnie Prince Charlie. The only reason I know anything about that is because of the Outlander series by oh. Diana Gabaldon. <laughs> okay. I know almost nothing about it. Um, I get very distracted because those books are a lot about that history, but they're also a lot about sexy naked Scotsmen. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, you get your history, get your smut all wrapped up in one. Hmm. Okay, then. So they catch up. She basically gives her story of, oh, I'm writing about my grandmother and I wanted to get a sense of the place where she left her life, spent her life. Mm -hmm. Paul somehow isn't familiar with her name right away, but then later on the next page over, oh, of course, our longest resident, the miracle cure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She he didn't. It's weird. You'd think that since, since it happened the same day, like, so, you know, yeah. since what we find out at the end, that he wouldn't have forgotten her incredibly unique name. Right. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps he meant to forget or something. But I I think the real reason is just so that these characters can say the stuff out loud to remind us what's going on is the real reason. Maybe he just didn't want to talk about her in that moment. So when she said Unity mm. Kincaid, he went, mm -hmm, like, didn't acknowledge. Well, and he, then the, the, the nurse is the one who said, oh, you remember her. The Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. The right, he's the like, na the name's familiar. Well, like, the name's the name's familiar. Yeah, oh, he's getting old. Yeah, it's yeah, it's probably he remembers her as Sleeping Beauty. Yep. Rose asks for three hours instead of a couple. Of course, three being a very important number in this series so far. Mm hmm. And uh, so Jack takes off, and and the nurse leaves Rose to go wander by herself because nurse is the only one on that day. So you know mm -hmm. she's got work to do. Yeah, she can't be doing with the stairs if someone needs her. Mm, Rose goes, checks out the, the room that uh, her grandmother used to stay in, and then she walks out of the room and walks to the door next door and opens up to check in on the broom closet. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. If you remember from, if we all remember from issue 11. 10. 10. <laughs> now I'm mixing it up. <laughs> yeah. Because of Neil. Uh, the broom closet's where she first meets the kindly ones. But in this, they're not there. Or are they? Because mm -hmm. we do meet a woman. Yeah, who sort of chides her for being in the broom closet. Yep. <laughs> uh, and she invites her down to the day room. Mm -hmm. And she goes along. Not sure for what reason. I guess she didn't find anything. The room was boring and empty and the broom closet is boring and empty. And she did come here to talk to people and... Yep. Learn some stuff. Yeah. So when she brings her to the little day room, this has got me thinking that now for the rest of my life, if I ever encounter three strange women together mm -hmm. at any time, that they could be the kindly ones. Oh, totally. Like anytime you see a group of three strange women, it could be the kindly ones. Yeah. You just got to figure out which is the mother, which is the maiden, and which is the crone. Mm -hmm. And this woman uh, overshares pretty instantly. 
Yeah, tells a story about her American boyfriend she fell in love with during the war and that they had a child together and that uh, she had to give the child up for adoption. And then we see a chess, a checkers board that is set up completely wrong. Is it? Yeah, everything has to be in the same color because all the moves are diagonal, but the white pieces are on black and the black pieces are on white. Well, you wouldn't be able to tell as a checkerboard that the circles were... That well, the you'd have to do outlines on, on the white, yeah. I guess. I never play checkers, so that seems totally reasonable checkerboard to me. <laughs> so is the implication that the artist got it wrong? I think the artist got it wrong. Or is the implication that... These old ladies do not know how to play checkers. <laughs> or they're playing some other game. I don't know. I, I think it's just the artist got it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we meet the other women. And yeah, they're uh, definitely one of them seems to look like the crone. Oh, yeah. Especially based on her very creepy story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they mention a uh, TV show called Blockbusters. That's a trivia program where a team of two competed against a solo player running from, it ran from 1983 to 1993, so it was still running when this comic came out. It's essentially a quiz board game. Teams win squares by answering questions, then they choose which square to attempt next, and all of the squares have letters on them, and the questions are phrased like, which P is the capital of France? And then the old joke is, I'll have a P please, Bob, meaning to attempt the P square, but when the old ladies say it, they mean take a piss. Okay. See, now I saw Blockbuster and I, I thought they were, it was like a slang for that when someone brings them movies. Right. <laughs> like no. I thought they meant actual Blockbuster. Blockbuster comes on. No, it's the Blockbuster quiz show. Okay. I'll have a pee, Bob. <laughs> then they list a couple of games. I only recognize one of them. Well, I guess I recognize Bridge. Droughts? Drafts. Drafts. I don't know that game. Oh, drafts is like checkers. Oh. Is it like checkers, but the circles go on the opposite color? No, I'm looking at that, and no, they still are on the same color. Well, I tried, Glendale, and I tried to defend you, but <laughs> <laughs> you fucked it up. So they play these games, but the most important thing they do when they sit around now is tell stories. Mm -hmm. And so the old woman really wants to tell this story. Yeah, and at first she tells us about kind of creepy stories in general, mm -hmm. uh, and she talks about the story of Sleeping Beauty, mm -hmm. but that the version she heard when she was a child was so much worse than the regular version where Sleeping Beauty is awoken with a kiss. Instead, she tells the, uh, I think, original, is it a Grimm story? It's one of those, um, where Sleeping Beauty isn't awoken with a kiss uh, in fact, the prince sleeps with her and then she gets pregnant and she gives birth and she doesn't wake up until the babies crawl up her body to get milk. And one of them ends up sucking the, 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 the prick, the needle out of her finger mm -hmm. that's made her fall asleep in the first place. Yeah. Did that baby die? I don't know this story that, that at all. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of different versions. Become that, super baby. Well, then there's a whole storyline. I, I think if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, wherein the prince keeps her and her children in one castle, wherein he's actually married in another castle. And then there's a thing with ogres, and I think the ogres eat the babies or something. It's wild. <laughs> it yeah, the prince is awful. Like it's not just that the prince has sex with a sleeping woman. He also has multiple families that don't know about each other 
And I think he is also a murderer at one point, too. I, I believe it. I You know, you remix stories all the time. Of course, well, those things I actually, got remixed throughout history. I think that, that that story, at least them implying, even though they don't bring up that part of the story, they're more talking about the experience of Sleeping Beauty when she tells this. But I think it might even be a reference as well to the next story, wherein the core idea of the next story is that men are bastards <laughs> and like Sleeping Beauty's version too, right? Like everything mm-hmm. that happens to her with that and all the babies and then and then in the original where the prince is it continues to be somehow even worse than a dude who rapes someone while they're sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, same implication there yeah. of this old story. Yeah, definitely the women's stories, right? That's definitely what we've been getting through most of the kindly ones too. Mm. That they're the stories that warn about men. Mm-hmm. So then she tells the story and we get the sub story that is illustrated by Charles Vess. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like the Selkie story. Yeah, a little. Uh, this kind of story is fairly common. Apparently in the letter columns, it was noted that this story actually comes from the Penguin Book of English Folktales in a somewhat different form. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe that one has the more sanitized version. I wonder how I ca- they sanitize I haven't been able to, it. I haven't been able to find it, sadly. Okay. Well, if, if anyone who's listening to this has, mm-hmm. please uh, write us and let us know. Yeah, we'd love to hear the difference. We'd love to hear what it's like in that book. The TLDR of this particular story, although we we do hope that you did read it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to read it. The TLDR, though, is that... Um, there's a tomcat kind of guy, and he comes upon a woman bathing, and he steals her clothes and says that he'll only give her back the clothes if she swears to become as uh, if she swears to to be with him. She says that she will, but only if he promises to to marry her. Yep. At the first church they come to, mm-hmm. he says, "If I, sw- I swear, if I set foot in a church, it'll be to marry you." Um. And under his breath and the devil, he'd step into a church ever again, he swore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then as the story goes, um, they sleep together and then they're walking along and they find a church and he says, oh, we can't go into that church. Um, and he makes up excuses uh, of multiple churches he finds along the way. While they're walking, she becomes more and more visibly pregnant. When she tries to call him on his bullshit, he hits her and she thinks, oh, so that's how this is. And then when she's getting very pregnant, she says, like, I need somewhere to stay. And he goes, okay, well, you wait here. And he goes on ahead up the road and he finds a little cabin with an old lady in it. And he murders the old lady and buries her in the uh, in the midden heap, which I had you look up for me because I mm-hmm. didn't know what a midden heap was. I wasn't sure either. It's basically a compost bin out it's in your yard. It's a garbage pile. Yeah. yeah, back in the day. Before you had people who would come take your garbage away, you just have a place where you go dump all your garbage. Well, and before your garbage was like 50% plastic mm-hmm. that wouldn't break down. Yeah. And so he goes, he, he buries the old woman, then he brings his new wife, well, not wife, his baby mama. He brings his baby mama to this little cabin, tells her to live there, lies, says that his aunt lived there. She bears him three young three girls, and um, he comes back and visits them and brings them food sometimes. But you know, generally he's still a bit of an asshole all over the place. You know, being a tomcat. One day he comes back and his kids aren't home, and he asks his wife where the kids are, and she says that they're gathering berries, but there's no berries. It's the wrong time of year for that. 
and then later on he asks her again where where are his children and she says that they're that they're fishing and well that doesn't make sense either even the baby and then i think the next morning when they're not there he asks where where are the kids and she says that they've flown away that makes him mad and so he kills her mm-hmm. and then after he's killed her suddenly the babies are at the door so he shoves her under the bed and the kids come in and they've all got wings and they question where their mother is and he tells the same three lies that she's gone to get berries that she's fishing and that she's flown away and they're like no and they rip him to shreds and kill him because they find their mom but hmm. the killing doesn't stick and he wakes up dead and the babies are gone because they flew away and instead the wife is there so he runs away and he asks to die. He asks the lightning to kill him and the fire to kill him. But because he's already dead, they won't do it. And so then he lies down in the ground and asks to be eaten by worms. And his uh, giant worm shows up and scares all the little worms away. And it's his wife, has the face of his wife, giant worm, and then starts to eat him. And he's like, do it quickly. And she's like, no, I'm going to do it slow. <laughs> Which is kind of what he did to her and, you know, like, he basically wrecked her life and locked her up and kept her and, and extended her suffering. hmm Yeah. And that's the story, as my mother used to tell it. Now I'm so curious about how the other story goes. Oh, my gosh. What? It literally just occurred to me. What? Three baby girls. Yeah. They could be the Furies. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always wonder what happened to the children after they flew away. They're just made up people. They didn't really exist. That doesn't mean they don't have stories. Mm-hmm. And it's three girls. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that occur to you? No. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Furies. The flying babies who killed their dad. Okay. Is obviously the Furies. I'm cool with that. Yep. Yeah. It makes sense. Well, because we get more reveals of a Fury here. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, this next one is so good. Right. We get to, to hear from Helen. Acts of revenge are sanctified. I have also done it. I spent two decades looking for the man who had killed a person I loved. I hounded him for year after year after year across the world. I found him at last in Brighton, in England, in the winter. A grey, sad town. It is a cold place, England. Really? What did you do when you found him? Eventually, I killed him. First, though, I destroyed his life. You're kidding, right? Joking with you? Of course. If I had really killed a man... Would I tell anyone? <laughs> so we're pretty sure this uh, Helena is Helena Cosmatos, mm-hmm. who is the Golden Age Fury. Okay. And post-crisis, at least, Lita Hall's lost mother. <gasps> right? If so, that would kind of fit in with the difficulty of saying her last name that was mentioned earlier. They, they always have problems with my last name. Oh, well, not yeah. They, they even have trouble with her first name, right? Yeah. It's Helena, but it's not really Helena. It's Helena. Helena. Oh. And the, I spent 20 years hounding somebody who hurt somebody I loved mm-hmm. is totally what a fury would do and explains where Lita's mother was this whole time. 
Yeah, and the choice to destroy someone's life before you killed them. Yeah. And there was a picture of her in uh, issue 57, page 19, panel 8. Mm-hmm. You can see kind of right here. That fits with a young version of this woman. Oh, that's totally her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And the timing seems to work out right. Also, the names of these older women, the Greek writers who portrayed the Furies as a trio of women named them Tisiphone, Alecto, and Megara. Mm-hmm. Amelia is Alecto, Magda is Megara, and the Golden Age Fury was shown as having received her powers specifically from Tisiphone. Oh. Tisiphone. Mm-hmm. I like that name. Tisiphone. Mm-hmm. A woman shouldn't have to sleep her life away. Women aren't about dreaming. We're about the real world. Even your grandma woke before she died. Women are about waking, Rose. As mothers, we wake them from nothingness to existence. As maidens, we wake them to the joys and miseries of adulthood. Wake them to the worlds of lust and responsibility. And when their time's up... It's always us has to wash them for the last time, and we lay them out for the wake. It's a different use of the word wake there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Waking and dreaming. Those are not the same thing. They're kind of opposites. Mm. And then on the next page over, we see both a cat and an owl. And we have seen a cat and an owl before in issue 10, page 20. <gasps> And it also went along with the eyes uh, that we see on the previous page of the three women saying what you just read, the as mothers, we wake them from nothingness, Mm -hmm. except those eyes were the eyes of the kindly ones. Mm -hmm. So again, definitely drawing the lines between these three women and the kindly ones. So over the page, uh, Paul and Rose catch up again. Talk about Winnie the Pooh a little. Yeah, but the Hundred Acre Wood being just around the corner Mm -hmm. and how Christopher Robin actually lost his original piglet, Paul, Hmm. in the woods there. And how uh, when Paul was a little boy, he and his mother would go walking in the woods and they say they would look for piglet. Hmm. He invites her down the stairs. Come down here. There's something I want to show you. You're not some kind of a pervert, are you? I am the very best kind of pervert. In the wards of the immortal Quentin himself, I am one of the stately homos of old England. That would be Quentin Crisp, English gay writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've never liked gay as a synonym for queers. Renders a perfectly decent word hoard to combat. Lost philological battle, though, there. And then there's the continual misuse of the word hopefully as well, and anticipate to mean expect, but I'm burbling, aren't I? Sure sounds like it. Yeah. Words, words, words. Uh, I like it. So he doesn't like gay as a synonym for queer. Yeah. Because it implies that they're just happy people. Yeah. And what queer is really meaning strange. Yep. And I, yeah, I kind of like that he leans into the strange, <laughs> yeah. I guess, is more the meaning. Like, he's like, I'm not pretending to be some happy gay. Yeah. You know, my life isn't sunshine and rainbows. My name, you know, I'm an old school pervert. I'm weird. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Use the right words to describe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he turns on the light, he says, more light, more light. That was said to be the final words of Goethe, the German writer and statesman. Really? Yeah. Hmm. More light, more light. Eh. 
He might have said, eh, I don't know. I was improvising there myself. <laughs> we are such stuff as dreams are made on, and our little life is rounded with sleep. That is from The Tempest, Act 4, Scene 1. Does our life end in sleep? Do we dream before we are born? Uh. Do you think he's dreaming? And this is Alex Burgess. In who, bed. Again, we haven't seen since issue one. Which was five years ago. Notice he's got a piglet doll in bed with him. Yeah, a little piglet. Does that mean that Paul found piglet? I don't think it's that one. I think, But I think that he feels very fondly about piglet. And I think Alex is his lost piglet. Mm. He's trying to find him, remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who is he? Is he your father? No. He was the love of my life. Still is, I suppose. I guess he's been sleeping for several years. Uh, we've got some books in the bookcase. Good Omens is, of course, the collaboration between Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, soon to be an Amazon Prime TV series. Oh, yeah. That looks pretty good with uh, David Tennant as Crowley. Mm. The Doll's House is by Ibsen and Echoes Rose's previous story called The Doll's House. To Kill is probably To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Timularo is Disraeli's collection of his Timulo comics from Deadline magazine, and Disraeli is the inker of this issue. And we don't have any references on fish paste. Fish paste. I'm, that's probably just something made up, I'm guessing. But mm. I could be wrong. Maybe it's something Neil knows. Yeah. Of Alex, he says he was a magician, but he wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. but he says that his father definitely was. His father was more powerful than Crowley. Mm -hmm. As an Alistair Crowley. Yeah. He's been asleep for over five years. I just hope his dreams are pleasant ones. Do you think they are? No, not really. And we know that they are not <laughs> at no. all. Alex is trapped in a horrible dream where he keeps thinking he's going to wake up and then he's in a nightmare again. Mm -hmm. And then he think keeps thinking he's going to wake up and then he's in a nightmare again. Right, yeah. Yeah. And Rose leaves him her ring. Oh, this is also, this is where we find out that Alex fell asleep the day that Unity mm -hmm. woke up Yeah, as well. Well, we know that because we saw both of them happen. Yes. It, just, it was a reminder of mm -hmm. it. And yeah, so she leaves him with the ring and Mr. Holdaway goes to pick Rose up. Mm -hmm. And so she leaves Paul with Alex. Mm -hmm. With the ring. And uh, Paul's last words... The sins of the fathers, eh, old fellow? The sins of the fathers. It really is, too, because, like, as much as he kept holding Dream, he didn't have any choice in the actual capturing. And then once he was captured, he was, like, terrified of repercussions. Yeah. It doesn't make it okay. No. No, certainly doesn't. Doesn't make it okay that he kept him, but mm -hmm. he definitely was in a bad place. Mm -hmm. Like, he seemed like an otherwise good man, but he was too afraid to... He released that god. Yeah, he was pretty hedonistic. He was a little on the selfish side, but yeah, sure. I would, I would, yeah, he wasn't. Evil. He wasn't evil like his dad. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he couldn't get away from it. Couldn't get away from the evil his father did. Well, because he refused to actually address it. Yep. Yeah. He just decided to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of his life, or you know, later in his life, it came to bite him, and he had no recourse because. He fucked up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So what do you think? What do you think of this issue? It's I little, liked it. A little it's... bit of a side trip. Yeah, it was a little 
I don't want to use the word boring because I don't think it's boring. Um, it's boring that my brain can only come up with that word. <laughs> but it doesn't feel, it, it feels it's after, more mundane. Yeah, especially with the previous issue, yep. all the the big ending. To have this one just sort of be this side story that doesn't tell us anything more about the baby and about everything that's happening <laughs> yeah. with Lida and everyone and the fire and the car and all of that. It's 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 difficult. I you know it's yeah. but it's good too. <laughs> it's nice to come back to that story and see that that place is still there, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't think Rose Walker really learned anything. You know? Like, what did she gain from this that she gets to walk away with? She got told a few stories. Yeah. She got the story about the boyfriend from America. She got the story about Snow White with the poison in your finger. She got the story about the children who flew away. Yeah, I'm just wondering, I, I'm just wondering, you know, what, if, if this will have an impact on the future of the story for her. Mm-hmm. Like, if Rose Walker is going to go back and be a part of Lyda's story some more. And anything she learned in this in this issue is going to matter to that story. Like if it's going to contribute to the ongoing story of Lyda and her child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She had been told that if she would go back to where her grandmother was, she would give her back her heart. Oh, like Rose will get her heart back. That's what she was told. Yeah. Yeah, Zelda wakes up from after falling asleep and she says, I was told to give you a message. It's from your grandmother. She said she had a message for you. said it was important. Uh, she says, my grandmother's dead, Zelda. And she says, I know she said that. She said she was dead. You have to go back where she lived, where she used to sleep. She said you would know where she meant. Zelda, this is just too weird. She said if you go to her, she'll give you back your heart. And that's when Rose dropped the vase she was holding. Hmm. And that was the previous issue. So the previous issue was go back to where your grandmother slept and she'll give you back your heart. And she's gone, but she hasn't got her heart back. Yeah, she gave the ring back. Yeah. Hmm. So I think I think you're right that like what was supposed to happen hasn't happened yet. We got a catch up on some stuff here, but it's not there yet. Yeah. So where do we go from here? I guess because it's an interlude, your previous predictions are still going to carry through from before. Yeah. Yeah. What were those predictions? I don't remember. I'll look them up. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Should I guess what's going to happen for Rose next? Okay, yeah. Even though it's not for the next issue, because I assume this is going to go back to the, you know, LA or whatever. Yeah. But just specifically for Rose, Mm -hmm. she has to find her heart. Mm -hmm. And I think that... It has to be in some way something that she found out in this story. And so it's either, maybe it has something to do with the place she's staying, the next place she's going to. Maybe that's why they mentioned it so much, the White Heart or something. So maybe maybe we're going to see her again in England in the next thing that she comes up with. Could be that. Or um, I'm also curious about this story of that the first crone told about meeting about having a child with the black soldier and having that child go off to mm. be sent away to America. And if maybe that character is a thing that Rose ends up following up on 
Like, because that would be another child of a fury, right? Oh, oh yeah, it would be, yeah. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Like, might that be a thing? Mm. Um, Yeah, but for Rose, I don't know. I don't think she gets her heart back or I don't know. It seems weird. Maybe she has to go into the dreaming again. Because maybe Dream has to give it back to her. Oh. Hmm. Ooh. (laughs) Maybe Dream has to resolve. Oh, no. Did Dream ever let go of his girlfriend, his African girlfriend, who he locked away in hell? Did he release her? Did he help her? Did she get to move on? She did. She got reincarnated as a baby. Okay. For a second there, I was like, maybe Dream has to release this thing that's representational of his broken heart in order for Rose to get her heart back. But then I realized actually that storyline did get fixed. But also, hashtag, I'm still mad about it. Uh, (laughs) um, Hashtag, Dream is a bad guy. Uh, (laughs) So you can ignore all of that. That was just rambling. I've gotten back to my brain now. No, I don't know. I, I think. Um, I don't know. Maybe she's going to become Dream's girlfriend or something. He seems to like younger women. She's his niece. Oh, shit. sort of. She is his niece. Mm. Or gr- grandniece. Grandniece. Oh, maybe that's how she gets her heart back. She has to find... Oh, gosh. Oh, I got it. Okay, what? Desire. What? She has to meet Desire. Okay. To get her heart back. Okay, Rose has to meet Desire. We'll see if that happens. Yeah. Next episode or maybe later, because like you said, we'll probably go to something else first. Yeah. Okay, bye. You've been Dreaming of the Sandman, issue 62, The Kindly Ones, part 6. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. And we'd sure appreciate it if you tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>